0: Welcome to the Fear Me Out podcast. On this episode, Justine Hamilton and I talk about our belief systems and confirmation bias and how those concepts affect our daily life and influence the way that we look at the world. I think it's really important for all of us to understand that we all have a very strong belief system and that we seek confirmation of this belief system in the ways that we interact with the world. Hope you enjoy this episode. I think it's, again, really important for all of us to uh, recognize what our belief systems are and how they influence our lives in both a positive and negative way. There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life when we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now, Dr. Dana Saperstein. Welcome to the Fear Me Out podcast. On this episode of the podcast, Justine Hamilton joins me in a discussion about belief systems. I don't think that most people understand that they have a very strong belief system that they go through life with, and I thought it was really important to talk about it and to uh, to sort of bring up the notion that we should all examine our belief systems and uh, do the best we can to be open to other ideas and and ways of looking at the world. It seems that the more that we hold on to one way of looking at things, the more extreme we become. Justine, welcome. I really appreciate you coming in to talk about belief systems, and uh, we'll take it from there.
1: Yeah, thank you, because I need to listen to this podcast, and and I have some questions about it, because when we started talking about doing the episode on belief systems, I was like, God, what are my, what is my belief system? I don't even know. And, um, so I think it's given me a chance to kind of give it some thought and think about it, but I feel like I'm probably not the only one out there that goes through life with some sort of belief system, but doesn't even really know what it is. So thanks for talking about this today, Dana. Sure. Um, so let's just start from the very basic. Okay. What are belief systems? I
0: I think it's a good question because we don't want to take for granted that, you know, that anybody... I mean, most people don't think about it. Right. So when I was doing some research, the the main definition that I found about belief systems is that it, it's a s- sort of a set of principles or tenets that hold together uh, and form the basis of a religion, a philosophy, or a moral code.
1: Religion, philosophy, or moral code. Yeah. Okay. I mean,
0: most people p- m- sort of recognize belief systems as a religious sort of philosophy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are not religious... You know, in any formal sort of a way. Um, but we certainly have philosophical belief systems and we all go through life with a moral code or a lack of one, right? Or somewhere in between. Right. Uh, I think it's really important for us to kind of, everybody to examine their belief systems.
1: And I would think they're pretty individualistic, correct? Like everyone kind of has their own.
0: Yes. Okay. I, I do believe that that's true. I would say that in the last few years that our belief systems have been challenged in a very major way, uh, certainly in a political realm, in order to create a division as strongly as possible between one set of belief systems and another, because Mm -hmm. uh, the most effective way to, to sort of take over the world is divide and conquer. Right. And so if you can divide people against each other, it's much easier to take advantage of them and use them. your advantage
1: right yeah that i agree politically yes do you think philosophically that's also been the case recently or morally I i
0: really believe that the philosophy that was portrayed certainly in the trump administration is that if somebody doesn't agree with you they're your enemy and you should hurt them
1: and you lie just yeah, well, that, I mean, that's all
0: part of it. Do whatever you need to to accomplish your agenda. Right. And that it's okay to hurt people. As a matter of fact, it's a sign of respect toward your leader if you hurt the people that don't agree with you. And I think that's a very dangerous way of uh, encouraging people to discard their conscience and um, act in really immoral ways. But, you know, we all have a four-year-old inside of us, so if we get permission from the president to be, an, you know, an idiot or an asshole— and and we get to feel a sense of competence and uh, uh, communion with our fellow, you know, conspirators. Yeah. Then um, you don't have to feel bad about hurting the people that don't agree with you.
1: Yeah, we've really seen that played out,
0: and in, it's really sad because yeah, I mean, I'm I would be the first one to admit that I'm guilty, big time. Yeah. Because um, my feelings were so radicalized against. The man himself, Mm -hmm. not his politics, I don't really care about that because I don't think that's relevant. I think it's more the idea that you are looking to take over the world and that it's really okay to hurt people who don't agree with you. It's hard to resist reacting to that or joining it if you're that kind of person that's looking for someone to, you know, tell you how to live in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's got quite, quite the strange belief system.
0: Yeah. Um, belief systems, are, they're, they're usually talked about um, from a religious perspe- perspective, as I mentioned earlier. But we also, like you said, we have political, societal, philosophical, and spiritual belief systems along with uh, you know other ways of looking at things. And um, our core beliefs are usually strong, long-term beliefs that we have that help us understand the world in a way and, and how it works and who we are in the world. So if you think about it from that perspective, understanding who you are, how the world works, and how you function in that world, those are fairly important concepts that that's, we go through life that's, with.
1: That is life.
0: Yeah, and that's really what our belief systems are all about is they, they answer intellectually those aspects of pretty much the way we live our lives.
1: So how are they formed? Do, is this When does this start, and what's it look like?
0: Well, I think that your belief systems start from the moment that you're born, maybe sometime before that, but I can't guarantee that, but certainly from a very early age, your family is going to teach you what matters is they're going to teach you how to live in the world. They're going to either overtly or covertly um, teach you whether your feelings are acceptable, mm-hmm. whether you're lovable for who you are or what kind of changes that you need to make in order to feel connected to the family So, um, and, and it's certainly, as we talked about in the shame episode, the amount of shame that you suffer as a kid is going to influence your belief systems or your belief system in a huge way. Right. Because if you're shamed into believing you're a bad person, you're going to then develop that as your belief that you're not a lovable person, that you're not smart, that you're not, you know, capable, that you don't have much to offer and that your job is either to be the pain manager of the family or to be invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Or to create a false version of yourself that's accepted by your family.
1: Yeah. There's a great quote I always think about with my family is, you know, what you tell them they will become. And I yes. think about that a lot when I'm with my children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you really do have to be careful of what you say because they hear it and then that that's how it plays out. That is what they become.
0: Oh, absolutely. And plus how you behave right. with them and right. how you behave with yourself. and how you behave with your partner is all going to influence the belief systems that they develop. Um, I know a lot of people that have had, as an example, religion forced on them, Mm -hmm. me included. And um, the belief system that I developed as a result of that, it was just to become more rebellious than I already was. Mm -hmm. It didn't really help me very much. It just (laughs) made me feel bad about myself, but I just hated what I was being forced to participate in. Mm And um, it's sad because I'm, I'm sure that there were aspects of, you know, growing up as a Jewish person that were good. Right. I just couldn't see any of them. Right. Because I was made to feel so bad about not wanting to participate in the religious aspect yeah. of.
1: Boomeranged.
0: Yeah. There are a lot of unhealthy belief systems that we do develop over the course of our childhood. A lot of people feel like they're worthless because it, it, that happens as much from neglect emotionally as any other way of being treated as a kid. If you really, really want to hurt somebody that needs you, pretend like they don't exist mm-hmm. or act or behave toward them like they don't matter. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that hurts more than being neglected and abandoned emotionally.
1: So let's, let me ask you this from a therapist's point of view. Um, let's say you have your family, your parents are neglectful, your mom and dad aren't taking good care of you, but you've got one relative out there that really kind of does take care of you and, and make sure that you're okay. How strong of an inf- like do you need one relative kind of looking out for you or do you need six? Like how, how much of an effect do you need from someone else to really make sure that you don't just get that, oh gosh, I'm worthless because my parents are not paying any attention.
0: I think it depends on how much time you spend with that one good loving person compared Mm -hmm. to the Mm -hmm. amount of time that you're going to spend with your parents. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's a numbers.
1: Okay. You could have maybe three mediocre ones. (laughs) Yeah.
0: As much as it is uh, the quality and the time that you spend with the person. But I will say that I know lots of people that have been really loved by either grandparents or somebody, friend of the family, aunt or uncle, whatever. And it's really helped. Right. But I don't think it ever takes a place of um, wishing that one or both of our parents could see us for who we are yeah. and love us f- for who we are.
1: What if you have one? What if you have one neglectful parent and one parent who is present? What's, what well, are your odds like then? Again, I think it helps. Mm-hmm. But
0: part of the difficulty in that is that how come the one good one is not protecting you from the one mm-hmm. that's hurting you? Mm-hmm. Because I think that that lack of protection feels like a um, betrayal.
1: Mm-hmm. Do beliefs, do belief systems change over time?
0: Um, I I think they do. I think that there are things that happen in life that can wake us up to a new way of looking at things. That would also depend on whether you're open or not, mm-hmm. um, and how severe the uh, the punishment was that sort of helped you develop your belief system. Right. A lot of people that I've met that were physically disciplined have pretty strong belief systems about their lack of value.
1: Give me an example.
0: Well, I mean, I I, I know I've talked in the past about a kid who um, I met who he was throwing up on the way to school every day. Right. Um, And uh, it turns out that his father, his father's belief system that what makes a man is not needing anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so this little kid was super sensitive. He needed connection and he was super scared and lonely as a little kids can all often be. Right. And his father, you know, used to hit him with a belt all the time when he expressed any kind of
1: emotion. What his father
0: perceived as weakness and mm. eventually he became a heroin addict because mm. he was so ashamed of himself. Right. So that's a sort of a radical example. I would say in my own life, uh when I was four, I lived um in Brazil for a while. And there was a woman who came uh, to take, she was a nanny that took care of my brother and my sister and I. And um, somehow she and I connected to each other. Mm -hmm. And it was really the first time in my life I ever felt love in a tangible way. Right. I mean, I, I believe my parents loved me, but they were so messed up themselves that they weren't capable of really connecting on any deep level. Mm-hmm. And this woman was like a miracle in my life. I I, I remember just following her around everywhere like mm-hmm. a little duck, you know, mm-hmm. that bonded with his mom. Mm-hmm. And I, I just couldn't get enough of how much she loved me and how how sweet she was. Right. And up until that moment, I didn't really understand what being loved by somebody else felt like.
1: Yeah,
0: And mm-hmm. I, I have a picture of her, and I think I mentioned once before in another podcast that um, if you look at my wife when I met her, and you look at a picture of this woman, they're so identical.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. And I
0: really never understood that till you know later on. I thought, oh my god, this woman looks so much <laughs> like my wife.
1: <laughs> Did you show the picture to your wife? Yeah. <laughs> what does yes. she think? She thinks. Uh, well, so I too? mean, their their
0: body types are identical. <laughs> yeah. Just very tall and thin, and their their face not the same, but yeah. But that feeling of love was so wonderful. Yeah. And I remember when we moved away and left her behind. I don't think I ever remember feeling as brokenhearted as in that moment of realizing that she was gone from my life. I'm sure. And I think my mom was super jealous of my relationship with her because I just lived for her presence Mm -hmm. in my life as a little kid.
1: So she had a positive influence on your belief system.
0: Yes, because growing up with my parents, it was a very negative, frightening experience. Mm -hmm. My mom lived in anxiety land, and my dad was very disconnected, and all he cared about was making money. He was a nice man, but... He was obsessed because of the poverty he grew up in, and he was a very self-centered person in that regard. So it was lonely.
1: Yeah, isn't it amazing as an adult, you recall these memories from your childhood that when you really actually felt that warm love that yes. was authentic, and the feelings that you have now, 50, 60, whatever, years later, uh-huh. they they still feel as intense. Yes. They still feel so warm. I have this memory of my aunt who took, she, she didn't have any grandchildren or um, nieces and nephews of her own other than my brother, sister, and I. And I have these vivid memories of being with her on her farm picking blackberries and her holding me. And I had to have been three because she had to hold me. And just someone giving you like the... The most beautiful blackberries ever. And just, I remember what she was wearing and what she looked like and how it felt. And it's, it literally feels like God, you know, and it's just, it's so nice, but I'm sure she had a very positive impact on my belief system too. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yes. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it's um, important to take stock of the people that have shaped our belief systems.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Both of them. You have to look at the negative as well, right? Yes.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, I, again, I know that the absence of my parents emotionally certainly affected me really strongly. Right. When I was like, I don't know, eight or nine or ten, I used to steal my dad's bathrobe and wear it and use it as a blanket. Aww. And the reason I did it is because it has his scent yes. on it. And it was the only way I could feel connected to him was stealing a a piece of his clothing. like
1: a little puppy. (laughs) Yeah, I was. And he
0: would walk around, where's my, God? you know, where's my, and he would always know where it was because I would, I stole it from him. And I remember wearing his shirts and all of that Mm -hmm. because um, it was the only way I could feel a visceral connection to him. And he
1: had no idea. Not at he all. He just thought you were stealing his clothes to be a brat, probably.
0: No, I mean, I, you know, my parents were not, they were kind people, but not the most emotionally sophisticated. Yeah. Plus, they were so damaged by their right. poverty and, and abuse that they suffered as right. children that they didn't stand a chance. No, they Plus, didn't. they hated each other. That's, yeah. It was so obvious so they couldn't stand each other, even though, the, I don't even know how they stayed together for 20 some odd years. Right. I found later on that my dad was serially unfaithful to my mom and- you know she just took it on as a sign of her being a victim, and yeah, you know
1: that worked out for him, and
0: that just yeah, <laughs> until he left her, you know <laughs> for another woman, yeah uh, which was sort of inevitable right um big shock so it's you know it's it's sad that we develop such strong beliefs about our lack of adequacy mm-hmm. and the feelings that we don't deserve to be loved, and right. that whatever it is that happens to us. As children, especially uh, abuse and neglect, we blame ourselves as kids. Always. Never seen, uh, never met a person who didn't on some level believe they asked for it or deserved what they got or didn't get.
1: Yeah. So our belief systems are shaped pretty early on. Yes. And then we can maybe change them a little bit as we grow older and understand and do the work, et cetera. Uh But initially Mm -hmm. they kind of come on pretty strong and they're influenced by yes. others
0: and depending on how sensitive we are number one and how um, strong our parents belief systems are mm-hmm. um, the combination of sensitivity and strong belief systems often creates a lot of problems for us as little kids yeah um I you mean, know, a lot of the work I do with people is to help them understand that they've been blaming the wrong person right? their whole life. Not that I want them necessarily to blame their their family or their parents, unless the ab- abuse or neglect was overt and deliberate, Yeah, which sadly does happen. Um, but a lot of times it's that, you know, we come from messed up people who mess us up. It's not their intention, but yeah. certainly it happens in that way. And if you add a really strong religious structure on top of it Mm -hmm. uh it can be incredibly damaging and i i don't mean to sort of criticize organized religion but if you think about catholicism as an example my understanding is that you're born in sin Mm -hmm. and that you don't really don't stand a chance because it's not just what you do to commit sins it's also what you think
1: right And you can't help it. (laughs) And
0: I don't know anybody who can, they can control what they think after the thought, but not before it. So if you think about it, it's a great way to capture people into a, a system where you can make them feel bad about themselves. And then once you do that, you give them a ticket to redemption and it's a great business model, especially if you don't have to pay taxes. But yeah. That's Mr. <laughs> cynical showing up here in that way.
1: So um, religion is one belief system. Uh-huh. what are What are some examples of some others, and what what do those look like a little bit more in detail? Well,
0: I think that the whether you trust people or not mm-hmm. is an example of your belief system. Can people be trusted?
1: What do you think most people think about that? Do you think most people are trustworthy or no?
0: Uh, do I think most people are trustworthy? or? Mm-hmm.
1: Meaning, do people, do people trust other people?
0: Uh, I would say most people say they do, but mm-hmm. my evidence shows me that they don't. Because I think it's really hard to be vulnerable and to let people know you on an emotionally vulnerable level.
1: Yeah, that goes together, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: It's really, really hard to be honest about the way you feel and to show people your underbelly emotionally because most of the time you've been made to feel ashamed or um, inadequate as a result of who you are as a person.
1: That's a great test for people to, to ask themselves, you know? Because I would say, oh, I'm a pretty trusting person, and I uh-huh. am open to some degree, but I'm, I there's plenty of places where I'm not comfortable being vulnerable, so uh-huh. maybe I'm not as trusting as I thought that I was.
0: Um, I, I think it's, again, trust is a huge component of how we live in the world yeah. can you can you trust anybody
1: right and we all know where that comes from <laughs> those damn <laughs> parents <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and and you know stuff happens in the world um I, again when I lived in Brazil uh at the end of my tenure there I was looking out the window and there was a um political uprising taking place and I remember seeing soldiers killing people oh, as a four oh and a half God. year old and I was we thinking this can't be real this is like the craziest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But you know, I watched people getting killed when I was a little kid. Yeah, and um, I think that that eroded my trust a little bit, also. Uh, in I'm, in I'm, soldiers yeah, or in life? <laughs> yes. Uh, and I remember even crossing the street when I lived in Brazil. I have such a clear memory of saying to my dad, "These people are crazy," because nobody would stop to let us cross the street. Wow! And if we tried, you know, they would. Be happy to run us over,
1: right? <laughs> Don't and trust even, them. Even as a
0: little kid, I was like, "This, this is this place is nuts. It's mm-hmm. crazy." So you know, I think it depends um, on a lot of different stuff, but yeah. uh, it's very experiential. Yeah, I learned not to trust teachers when I moved to the United States, and I wrote a story about my experience in Brazil. Uh huh. And the teacher didn't believe it. She thought I was making <sighs> it up because what seven year old? Right talks about watching people being killed. And so she wrote a note to my parents saying, there's something really wrong with your kid. He's got a very active imagination. Mm-hmm. And you better figure out what's wrong. And I kept saying to her, this isn't true. I'm not, this is not my imagination. Yeah. But and she we... could not believe that uh, that I could have had that experience at such a young age. Did
1: your parents defend you to the teacher?
0: No, my parents were the kind of people that believed that teachers and people in authority like that mm-hmm. uh, were to be trusted. Mm-hmm. So um, I never stood a chance in school, even though I was not what i would call the most cooperative kid in the world yeah (laughs) Uh, i just
1: had a similar situation happen in my life (laughs) last week we'll talk about it after the podcast (laughs) yeah
0: so um my experience in school and with teachers was not very pleasant because i was a difficult kid
1: yeah so beliefs um religion trustworthiness What are, what are some of the other,
0: how you feel about yourself as a success or a failure Mm -hmm. is really important because a lot of people feel like they're a failure, even though they haven't really failed yeah because they've been made to feel like they're a failure.
1: Do you ever see people that were made to feel like a failure, but don't, but don't what, but don't feel like a failure That, that feel like parents that have, you know, knocked a child down, so to speak, but that. Kid comes out without any therapy, without anything, just feeling like they're okay.
0: Boy, I don't think so. But my experience is very biased because people don't call me up and say, "Hey, I would like to come and see you. My life is going great." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my sample, both personally and professionally, is yeah. regular regular people yeah. in the world who yeah. We're seeing you know, all the ones that are struggling from in one way or another. Right. So I I, I can't really speak. In a you know in a general way because I think that I think most people don't believe that they deserve to be loved the way that they would like to be loved.
1: Yeah, that's I a, see that
0: a lot with people.
1: Oh, that's a big one too. Going through life not knowing if or feeling that you're like a failure because that's gonna just uh-huh. permeate everything that you do in life. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Do you feel like of the of the different sort of belief systems, one's stronger than the other?
0: Well, I think being made to feel inadequate leads you to feel like a failure, Mm -hmm. I guess, in a way. I know I've talked about this again in the past, but people that win the lotto, they do studies on people that win huge amounts of money, gifts um, that they didn't do anything to deserve. And 80% of people that win the lotto within two years have nothing left. No family, no friends, no money, no nothing. nothing. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, again, generalization here that a lot of... Poor people play the lotto. Mm-hmm. So when they win, they get a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. And because they, on a level they're not aware of, don't believe they deserve it, oh. they become very self-destructive. It happens okay. with professional athletes that grow up in really difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. They oftentimes become enormously wealthy and get a lot of attention for their athletic ability. But uh, your athletic ability is only one slice of who you are as a person. Yeah, yeah. And if you've been beaten and made to feel, you know, and seen the most horrible things as a kid, all the adulation in the world is only going to help you when you're playing basketball or football or whatever. But when you're living your regular life, it's very common for people to end their sporting career with no money.
1: I just read something the other day, Dennis Rodman. Do you remember him? Uh He... His net worth now is like $800,000.
0: Which is crazy because he was a trillion billionaire. Yeah,
1: and you know, spending on cars and Uh homes and whatever else just to fill that void, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I think much of life has to do with how you feel about yourself, Mm -hmm. and that is your belief system. Yeah, right. Or at least your belief system comes out of how you feel about yourself. Yeah. So that, again, is an important reason why people should examine their belief systems. I think that the hardest thing is being open to different ways of seeing the world, that most of us get a really strong kind of belief system that we live with. And then there's another concept that I think is really important. It's called confirmation bias. Okay. Which is, you know, a weird name, but confirmation bias is a tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of your existing beliefs and theories.
1: So So a lot of
0: us seek experiences that confirm what we already believe.
1: Ah, yes. Yes. And
0: we disregard the ones that don't match the way that we feel or believe.
1: You throw social media into that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just continuing to divide us even more, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you just, the whole algorithm is set up to enforce what you're looking at, what you believe, what Mm -hmm. you're thinking. Yes. And then so we don't ever see the other person's side, which is just Making it worse.
0: So there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time researching confirmation bias because, uh, especially for political reasons, because there's a lot of politicians that would like to win elections, obviously. (laughs) And in order to do that, they have to change people's belief systems. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing to do.
1: How does, how do you even do that? What does that look like if you're trying to do it for your own personal gain?
0: Again, I know that I'm super negative about Trump, but when he was running for president, he went to all of the disenfranchised, poor places in the United States that Hillary Clinton had already visited. Now the Democratic philosophy is we got to work together to solve our problems. Yeah. Most of the people that lived in those communities had already tried everything imaginable to redeem this place they live, and to find a way to uh, live a life that was marginal at best. Mm-hmm. So. That philosophy is not going to work very well. That belief mm-hmm. system is going to fail because these people have lost hope. They, yeah. So if I can go in there as a savior, right, and say to people, "I'm going to make America great again," you just sit on your butt and I'll take care of it for you, right? Regardless of whether that's true or not, it works really well. Well, it's to, nice capture to hand
1: people. off the baton to someone else to take care of your problems.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. So I think that well, that's one of the reasons why he was so incredibly successful because he understands. Failure because he's really good at that. Yeah. And he also understands how not taking responsibility for your failure is a really important way to stay wealthy and successful. So he just used that idea to pretty much capture a very large number of people who -hmm. have already given up. I mean, if somebody said to me, I'm going to save you and take care of you, or we got to work together to solve a problem that has no solution, which one are you going to vote for? I know.
1: It's always been so ironic to me that. And we're not going to talk about politics, um, but it's always been so ironic to me that the people he went after, that he got to really believe in him, are the people that he's hurting the most, the people uh-huh. that need social services right. and, you know, immigrants, etc. And it's those are the people that you know back him, uh-huh. and you're just like, no, no, he's he's not helping you at
0: all. <laughs> yeah, but the reality doesn't matter. The fantasy that somebody's going to save me, yeah. Uh, I mean, let's look at the Walt Disney Corporation as an example. Right. Find me one movie that has ever come out of that studio that doesn't involve the rescue fantasy as True. an example. True. In a romantic sense. Yeah. Initially, it was always men saving women and then riding off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's women saving stupid men and riding off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. So the gender <laughs> has, the savior gender has changed, but the recipe is still the same. <laughs> and most people are brought up and... Um, really strongly influenced to believe in the rescue fantasy as a, a way of finding love and holding on to it. Do
1: you think so? Oh,
0: absolutely. I see it over and over and over again that we believe that if we can save someone, they'll love us forever.
1: Yeah, that's true. And
0: yeah. usually the person that's being saved feels like they're being controlled. That's not love. Right. And they don't feel loved. Right. So oftentimes it goes very badly because even if the person that's trying to save them is giving good advice or whatever—it's not going to be accepted because it feels like, it doesn't feel like love. It feels like an agenda.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I exactly. see that
0: happen with tons and tons of people that, um, that—that's a recipe for love, and they don't even realize it because it's just been ingrained in us from the, from the day one.
1: But and beside, but so that's part of our belief system also. But
0: uh-huh.
1: outside of like the silly Disney movies, like where where else do we do we see that? Is that just
0: well, every time you turn on the news. We are conditioned to believe the world is coming to an end, constantly. Every news station now has an alert at every news story that shows up, that didn't used to be that way back in mm. the olden days. Mm. News just used to be news. Now it's always been negative. Right. But now it's like red alert. The yeah. letters are in red yeah. and everything is on high alert. And the reason that we're conditioned that way is because um, the people that run the economy know that we're not going to buy stuff unless we're anxious mm-hmm. and want to make ourselves feel better. Mm-hmm. So I think the economy would collapse if we stop being fed a diet of fear all the time. Yeah. And I can't even tell you how many people right now are so disillusioned and scared about what's happening in the world. Really? Because of the constant diet of th- that. It's the end of the world mm-hmm. because of climate change and economic factors and political factors and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm not saying those things are not a problem, but I don't, personally believe that the world is in any worse shape than it's ever been?
1: It feels like it, but then if you think about history, it's like, there's been some really crazy times in history as well with wars.
0: I was reading about smallpox, which I know sounds really ridiculous, but smallpox was the biggest um, disease that has ever ravaged the world. And it took hundreds of years to figure out where it came from and how to treat it. And there was a man who actually was smart enough in the 1700s to Find people that had smallpox and take a tiny little bit of a needle and scrape some of the uh, the uh, disease from somebody from one of their pox right mm-hmm. and then inject it into a healthy person and that person would get just a tiny little rash, but then they would become immune Mm-hmm to the disease. He right. figured out immunity yeah, and how it worked. And he was drummed out of the scientific community for his heresy. You're kidding. And it took probably a couple hundred years after he discovered that that was the way to treat diseases like that before somebody else figured it out that mm. it was the truth.
1: He mm-hmm. got all the credit. Right. Because,
0: <laughs> yeah, because um, it was too scary for people to look at things from a different belief. Yeah. I mean, during the Black Plague... <laughs> I laugh because that's what started the Inquisition in Spain against the Jews, because yeah. in Spain the Jews got blamed for the Black Plague, mm-hmm. and so it was a really good excuse to go and kill all the Jews mm-hmm. to blame the plague on them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what being a Jew has to do with right. people getting the plague, but right. it worked. Yeah, right. I mean, imagine waking up every day with a with a cart driving down your street. And you're throwing all the dead bodies out of your it's house. Just
1: crazy. Right?
0: And 70% of the known population of the world died during that time. Right. That's not what's happening now. No. Even with the plague we just went through. Yes. It killed a lot of people, and I'm not trying to minimize it, but it didn't kill 70% of the population of the world.
1: No. And it was over pretty quickly, uh-huh. and, yeah. you know, it's gotten under control. And
0: So yeah. I know things are bad, and I'm not trying to say, oh, just ignore everything that's, you know, a problem. But what about... The attention that's not being paid to people that are solving the problems and coming up with all the amazing right. in- ingenuity that... Um, right.
1: That's what's amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, I'm giving a plug to the website called Upworthy. Okay. Upworthy is only amazing, good stuff that's happening in the world. That's nice. And every day they send me a, a link to what the cool stuff is that is happening in the world. Yeah. I know
1: you're not on social media, but they're on Instagram also. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And (laughs) it's nice.
0: But I think that, you know, that's such a small percentage of balance compared to all the horrible negativity that's broadcast at us all the time. Yeah. Because you're not going to drink too much. You're not going to buy stuff you don't need. You're not going to overwork. You're not going to do a lot of that stuff if you're not constantly being fed a diet of fear. Right. So, you know, it's all part of the master plan to keep the economy going. Right. And I understand the necessity of that. I don't want the economy to collapse. Yeah. But well, I'm just not 100% convinced that things are as bad as they are painted out to be. No, it's for just for a purpose.
1: How, you know, the beauty industry works, the fashion uh-huh. industry works and it's just yeah. like, no no no, you need this, this season you need that, that season, etc. Yeah. What are some other examples? Well, an example
0: of bias? confirmation bias is uh, I thought this one was pretty interesting. If you believe that left-handed people are more Creative than right-handed people. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, whenever a person encounters somebody who's left-handed, your automatic bias is going to be that that person is creative.
1: Let me tell you, I'm left-handed. It's not true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it is not true. I was listening to a young Asian woman talking on uh, some podcast about the confirmation bias that she encounters all the time as an Asian woman. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's a group project, she's in college. They automatically assign her the math science portion mm-hmm. of the project, yeah, and they just say to her, "Well, you're you know you're mm-hmm. Asian, you can do this," yeah, and she's like, "Have you seen my grades? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I failed math and <laughs> and but you know we just have these stereotypes that are right. that we confirm by you know seeking out experiences and you that
1: probably aren't even really aware aware of it.
0: That's right, you know. That's why it's so important for the two of us to bring this up because confirmation bias is really important because it leads people to hold false beliefs in a really powerful way and give more weight to those beliefs than they would the truth, despite evidence. Right. I mean, if you think about the QAnon knuckleheads who believe, believe that, you know, Clinton's are child molesters. and, And there was one guy who actually went into the pizza parlor and he was ready to blow up the place and shoot everybody in there. And when he went in there and he found out there was no pedophile going on, he didn't know what to do with himself because yeah. he so believed that what he was being told was the truth.
1: Yeah, that's pretty strong confirmation. Bias. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Luckily, he didn't kill anybody. Yeah, and I'm assuming he was kind of disillusioned. And now, all the stuff that happened on January sixth uh, has been reformulated to being nothing that was any big deal.
1: And is there? There's obvious. There's got to be positive ways that confirmation bias works in a good way, right?
0: Um. Boy, I don't know, to tell you the mm. truth. I mean, I, I guess if if what you believe is, in quotes, true, but that's a slippery slope, right? Yeah. If I,
1: I'm thinking. If
0: I find all the evidence in the world to confirm what I believe and I already know it's true, I mean, I guess it's not as harmful as if I'm in the Ku Klux Klan and I want to kill right. all the Jews <laughs> right. and the black people because they're inferior and, you know.
1: A good thing. If if it's a good thing. It
0: does um, bring up a question, which is how do you avoid confirmation bias, which is maybe some of what you are alluding to, Yeah. right? I think that the simplest way is to look at the belief systems that you hold and to search out ways that you might be wrong. Now, I think it takes a really courageous person to do that.
1: Are you going to ask me some questions now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you mean about your belief system? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I don't. I really don't want to put you on the spot in that way. But I think it's really. I think that that notion of wondering. I wonder if what I hold on to as being my truth mm-hmm. and absolutely will not deviate from it. I wonder if I'm doing myself any favors by being so rigid.
1: Right, and where that comes from? Yeah, like why you have that belief? Yeah, because again,
0: for me. I know I'm blabbing away here, but for the first 35 years of my life, ask me my religion, I will tell you I'm an antagonist. Mm-hmm. Not an atheist, not agnostic, antagonistic, because I was traumatized in the name of religion. Right. I had to go through an experience that left me unable to deny the reality of my experience. Yes. So I think in that those hours that I went through that transformation was probably the biggest change in a belief system that i ever encountered in my life
1: yeah you did a 180
0: in a huge way right. and in a way that i if you would have asked me before that moment whether i would ever have become a person of faith and have a strong spiritual connection i would have told you you were, you yeah. know a fucking idiot yeah basically
1: but so how did that how other than you know believing in god and something bigger than yourself after that how else did that impact your life Once you went, once you went through that, did you find out you were a nicer person? Did you? Were you more tolerant? (laughs) I love that first question. (laughs) Am
0: I a nicer person? (laughs) I think it would depend who you ask, (laughs) because I know sometimes I'm really nice, and other times not so much. (laughs) Um, I think the way that it changed me was to help me feel less frightened of the world and less untrusting. Okay, because in a lot of ways
1: because God had your back, yes, and I and, didn't
0: feel so alone. And I felt like if I was willing to sort of join in a connection, that it would really serve me well. Not that I would get a life without pain and suffering because nobody gets that, mm-hmm. but that at least I would have maybe greater resources to keep moving forward. Because mm-hmm. I will say to you, people over and over say to me, How do you keep going despite what it is? Yeah. You know, all the times that you could have died and all the pain that you suffer and all the crap that happens to you physically, how do you keep going? I mean, you know, my wife says to me all the time, you're the most disciplined person I've ever met. And I said, well, it's not really disciplined. I just know I need to do it if yeah. if I want to stay around. Right. And even then I'm barely hanging in there. <laughs> so I can't imagine what it would be like if I rented a room at Kentucky Fried Chicken and just sort of lived in the, in the grease. Yeah, not good. You know? not, I
1: can tell you right now, not good.
0: <laughs> yeah. So... Sorry, Kentucky Fried Chicken, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it just, you know, depends on, I guess, how much curiosity you have about yourself. And I,
1: I, yeah, I think most people, I shouldn't generalize, but I think a lot of people are in so much pain that they don't have curiosity. They don't, they don't want to go any deeper. Right. Well, it takes
0: a lot of courage, don't you think? I mean, from your own experience, you have to deal with things that are really scary and sad and...
1: Yeah. But you, it's, that's what life is. And, Uh you know, you, and it's, you continue, I mean, I continue to do the work on a regular basis, but, you know, after just going through therapy, you know, the last few years, like my life has changed and I've just been able to understand more why my belief system is what it is. And for me, it's really peeling back the onion of like, okay, what's the core of this? Like, why am I doing this? And, you know, what do I think about that? And once I get there, I can have empathy for myself, for others right. that I'm judging, for, uh-huh. you know, situations, for people, et cetera, and can give forgiveness.
0: Yeah, so. I think that that's true. I think it's, it's ad nauseum we say over and over again. you got to take a look at yourself and go as deep as you're capable yeah. and find the courage to do it because an unexamined life is a life of pain and suffering, in my right? opinion. Right. Maybe not for everyone, um, but I think that a lot of people suffer quietly.
1: I agree. And I'm, you know, it's like this is your life. I, I always think about, like, yeah, why you have one life here. Like, let's get to the root of it and make it the best one possible. And the only way you can do that is by, you know, by doing the hard work because it's not that fun going through life just with, you know, sadness and despair and anxiety and misery and, you know, whatever else comes along. Um, that you really do have to do the work, and it's tough, but it's not that tough. You you know you get through it, and you'll have moments of. I sound like I'm doing an infomercial for you, Dana. <laughs> you'll have moments of you know toughness and sadness, but gosh, you, the the reward is so much better once you come out the other side. So yeah,
0: well, again, you are kindly preaching to the choir. Here. I know,
1: I know. <laughs> um, I'm I'm just I'm I'm just really kind of talking to any listeners out there that, you know, they go through life and they are they know that maybe there's something that they're not happy with or they want to make it a little bit better and they're scared, like we're all scared and it's hard and it doesn't feel good. But man, the reward afterwards is so beneficial. Right.
0: But then you have to be willing to challenge your belief systems and recognize that confirmation bias is not helping you uh, it does serve a purpose, though. You asked before, is there a positive about confirmation bias? Mm-hmm. And it's really an efficient way to process information.
1: It's an efficient way to process information?
0: Yeah, because you don't have to challenge your, your belief systems in any way. Oh, I'm right. not saying it's healthy. Right. But it also it can promote self-esteem if you can convince yourself that what you believe is superior. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, I worked in an office for a long time when I first started my practice, and the woman that um, answered the phone, she was a really sweet, kind woman. But, um, and we got along really well until religion came up, and she was a really super born-again Christian person, and we would have conversations every once in a while when I forgot who I was talking to mm-hmm. about God and, you know, spirituality. And she would just look at me like I was completely insane because— um I told her that I believed in God. She said, well, you haven't accepted Jesus in your heart. So there's no way in the world that you have a connection to God because that's the only way you can do it until you accept him as your savior. You're doomed to hell. And I would scratch my head and think, how could a woman who's this smart and kind be so, um,
1: she's behind that confirmation bias wall. (laughs) Insane. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I know how it served her. It Mm -hmm. gave her context to live her life in a way that made her feel superior and safe. And that, you know, we're all afraid of dying, and yeah. she knew where she was going.
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know, what do you think, that religion is probably the belief system that has the strongest confirmation bias hold? Yeah,
0: that in politics, I think, right? the two of them. But, you know, I have to say self-esteem is another one that, I mean, I don't care what religion you are, what political affiliation you have, how you feel about yourself determines pretty much everything about the way your life works.
1: Yes, but if I, I'm thinking, but if you, if you feel crappy about yourself, are you, how, how do you find a confirmation bias in that? Are you doing Oh, I think
0: people do that all the time.
1: By doing crappy things to themselves?
0: And and by engaging in relationships with people that treat them the way they feel about themselves. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that, um, you know, that that's what you're doing. I mean, how many people do you know, men and women who are in a relationship, disaster, I'm never going to go out with somebody that does that to me or is like that ever again. Mm-hmm. And then two months later, they got the same person in a different body. Yeah, And it's so clear from the outside, like, you know that that's like right the same person. Right. And in their mind, there's no similarity no, at all.
1: you're right. Right.
0: But I think that, that we always find people that confirm the way we feel about ourselves, mm-hmm. good or bad or in the middle.
1: Yeah. So I guess it's kind of spread across the board. Yeah. The confirmation bias.
0: Because I, I see a lot of people who actually yeah. occasionally get involved with someone that they really fall in love with and they try really hard to show that person what love looks like. And the person on the receiving end doesn't feel like they deserve it. And so without realizing it, they sabotage the relationship. Wow. I've seen more people sabotage the goodness in their life than anything else. If it doesn't fit the way they feel.
1: Yeah, well, that would make sense. How and do they usually sabotage
0: Oh, um, by finding fault in the other person, and by creating all kinds of drama, being unfaithful, all kinds of mm-hmm. different yeah. ways of alienating somebody who really wants to be with you, yeah. but scares you to death because of like- um, the way that they're loving you, not because they're not treating you well, because they're treating you in a way that you don't believe you deserve. Right, and it's so sad to see that happen. Yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah. So most people that have been brought up to feel really crappy about themselves end up finding people in the world that confirm how they feel about themselves. I've had a fair number of dads of young children, especially female children, come in and say to me, you know, I'm maybe high school age or whatever, junior high, why is my daughter, as an example, bringing home such losers, (laughs) right? And because I'm a kind person usually, (laughs) I don't say, "Uh, go look in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. I try to find a subtle way of saying, you know, if you have not taught your daughter that she's adorable and deserves the kind of attention that she needs, yeah, then she's going to bring home you. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And vice versa, yes? Uh-huh,
0: yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, I try to find a kind way of putting it, and I try to do the best I can to get dads to wake up and realize that their job is not just to support their families. Yeah. That they have to show up emotionally and show their kids their, you know, their vulnerability, because yeah. men are not so good at that sometimes.
1: No, I think we need to do a podcast on that.
0: <laughs> I've got a couple
1: guys I can bring in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, because we're not, you know, it's not part of the way we're raised.
1: No, it's 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 a belief system, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Like, you know, yeah. I mean, again, I know I'm picking on men here, but I can't tell you how many men have said, "What is wrong with my wife or my kids that they don't understand how much I love them." And then my response was, when's the last time you told them? Right. Well, some people tell their kids and their wife all the time. I met a man once who never said the words once.
1: Yeah. And he said,
0: he said, I don't need to say it. They should know it. And I said, well, okay, how should they know it? Well, because I take such good care of them. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, well, if you said those words out loud, do you think you're going to like spontaneously combust or something? Maybe you should learn how, to, <laughs> how yeah. to utter a few syllables that might help fill in the blanks. Yeah. Oh, I can't do that. That would make them weak and I would be weak. And yep. And I just think, oh, come on, give it a fucking rest.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. It's so
0: sad. It is sad. Because what is the harm in telling somebody?
1: It's the nicest thing you can say.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or what's the harm in crying with your children or right. in front of them? Yeah. And all of that stuff. Yeah. Because the more that you withhold who you are from the people that love you, the the more they feel like you don't love them. Right. And it's not about them. It's about you thinking that if you show people who you are, they're not going to love you. Yeah. And it's hard for people to acknowledge that um, they're their own worst enemies because of their belief system.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, that's where it all starts, huh? For,
0: for my way of looking at it, and if you add the component of shame on top of it, Oh, boy. I mean, she we got, got, some, a problem. <laughs> we got yeah. some doozies for you. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, as we've talked about, shame is a huge yeah. negative that we all carry around like right. a ball and chain.
1: Right, which really affects our belief yeah. system.
0: Well, because the, the shame is the emotional component. The belief system is the intellectual component. Ah, uh-huh.
1: that makes sense. Okay.
0: Yeah. So the feelings always start by creating thoughts because the feelings precede thought. Right. And we always... Again, you can't. I mean, when's the last time you felt bad and didn't think to yourself, I wonder why I feel this way, mm-hmm. and then come up with a reason why you're feeling the way you are? Because mm-hmm. as human beings, we cannot feel bad without an excuse or a reason for it. And most of the time, what I see is that people come up with legitimate reasons. It's not like they say, you know, the space aliens are flying around, they're going to abduct me, and, you know, I don't want to have that happen, so... Um, most people come up with really good reasons. Yeah. I, the town that we live in is too hard to live in, or my job, or this or that. Yeah. And I'm not saying those things are not problematic. But usually underneath that, there's a feeling of disconnection and loneliness and mistrust. Mm-hmm. And that precedes the relationship. It starts with when you're a little kid. Right. And most people don't realize they bring all of that into whatever relationship they go into. Yeah. And it starts to erode very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier. I mean, my job is super easy. I know you think my job is hard, but my job is easy because <laughs> we're not talking about me, right? So I can, I'm not going to get defensive. Right. Because I don't have to defend myself. I'm right. just doing my thing.
1: Yeah. Switzerland. Yeah. Oh, Switzerland with help. Uh-huh. Switzerland with aid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and, you know, my belief system is that it's a compliment to me when someone is willing to bear their soul even though the content of what it is that happened to them is unspeakable. Mm -hmm. Because again, you and I were just talking earlier about the fact that I see a lot of people who have been horribly sexually abused as children. And people say to me, well, how can you listen? How do you deal with that? And my belief system is that I have a gift to be able to carry that pain, not inside me, Mm -hmm. but with the person. And it doesn't overwhelm me. I mean, I occasionally get disillusioned and think you know i think humanity's doomed right but generally speaking i watch people heal those wounds and you know i love it when people sob their hearts out because i know that that's going to lead them toward yeah some relief yeah and
1: you're not emotionally spent mentally spent spiritually spent at the end of the day
0: no i get tired physically right but i didn't
1: say physically because i I had (laughs) a feeling but that's
0: it i mean really it's actually more of an uplifting thing than anything else yeah Wow. And I often get, like, I got an email yesterday from a woman who doesn't live in California anymore. And uh, we had a session a week or so ago. And she said, I cannot stop crying since our visit. Oh. I'm just inconsolable. What am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't being a smartass. And I said to her, You got to keep crying until you stop. Yeah. She was not expecting that. She was expecting me to find her a solution to stop crying. Mm -hmm. And my response is, the best thing in the world for you to get this out of your system. Mm -hmm. Don't shut it off. Mm -hmm. I know it's not convenient to sit in your office and cry all day. Right. But, you know, you own the business, so you're allowed to shut the door (laughs) and cry. right?
1: Hopefully that's not why you're crying. Right.
0: Because (laughs) I think that people have a legitimate need to get this stuff out of their system.
1: Oh, I agree 100%.
0: So to cut it off or to pathologize it and all of that, it just seems... Really sad to me. Yeah.
1: And then it just, it just, our world where we tell men and boys not to is just doing them the biggest disservice. Huge disservice. Yeah.
0: So again, I'm as guilty as anybody else of having a really strong belief system. Mm -hmm. And I certainly have spent many hours confirming my biases (laughs) with the stuff that I read and Mm -hmm. all of that because, um, you know, we all want to feel like what we think and feel is. Real. Yeah. So it's normal, but it's also important because I've had to apologize to family members, as an example, as a result of what happened in the political system years ago. Mm-hmm. Because it was so divisive and so awful. And I never had to th- consider that before. Yeah. Um, and I felt really bad that I was um, swept along with the hate. It's so hard to resist. Yeah. Hating people that don't agree with you.
1: I know. I know.
0: Because, you know, I got that little kid inside of me. Right. And it was that little kid was actively uh, pursuing violence until I was a teenager. Yeah. So I had free reign. Right. Not a good way to be brought <laughs> right. up. Right. <laughs> so um, I think we all have to find some humility. Yeah. And uh, take a look at how we think based on how we feel. I agree. So is there anything else that... Um, Feels important about what we're talking about that we haven't covered so far from your perspective. Just um, here.
1: so the halo effect. Yeah. What can you explain what that is?
0: Well, uh, the halo effect is when we assume, as an example, that a good-looking person in a photograph is also an overall good person. Okay. Because we assign them a halo. Uh, right. Based on the way they look. Right. And this this is an error in judgment that reflects our individual preferences, our ideologies and our social perception, because I mean, I don't know about you, but I've met lots of uh, very attractive people that are despicable mm-hmm. and lots of not as attractive people that are the loveliest people you'd ever meet. Right. But I think that we're trained to believe that. And I know this from all the psychological research that I don't read <laughs> that, um, you know, the way a person looks influences so much oh, about how we see them. and
1: It really does. And
0: that's why all the influencers in the world right now are making zillions of dollars right. because there's a lot of scared, lost people right. who want somebody to tell them how to look and how to be right. so that they can feel acceptable.
1: Right. It's really crazy. It's really like sad. How, what the bias is towards good-looking people.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, back in the olden days, if you had a tan... Mm-hmm. It, you know, you were looked at as being a slave, right? Because only poor people work, right? Outside, out in the field, yeah, yeah.
1: And now it's like you want to get as tan as possible because exactly. it's life of luxury. You're yeah. on that yacht.
0: And I know I've told the story of being in Fiji a million years ago with my wife, and she's a very thin person. Mm-hmm. And, and the waiter in the restaurant asked me if she was dying, right? <laughs> right. And I said, No, she's incredibly healthy. Well, how come you don't feed her? Right. I said, Well, first of all, she knows how to feed herself. <laughs> And she eats plenty, yeah. But she's just a really thin person. And he said, "Well, you're failing your wife and your family because in this culture, yeah, you know, only really overweight people are looked at as being healthy and, and they, well cared for,
1: and they can afford to eat." And
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, it's so uh, random.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. No, I just, I think just the belief systems and the biases it just permeates all of us, all of our society, and it's really just kind of raising awareness and conscious about what yours are and why Uh and you know that really like i said i hadn't even really thought about mine before we started talking about this podcast and i'm like okay well yeah this is one and i mean i know which way i lean politically but really thinking about sort of you know the spiritual aspects of my beliefs and and why and um i think if we can all examine those it's a better way to live
0: Again, speaking to the choir.
1: I know, I know, I know.
0: Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast, and I want to thank Justine for her openness and willingness to come and help me out here. So I just want to let you know how much I appreciate yeah. your presence and um, look forward to doing more yeah. more with you.
1: We've got some more good ones coming up. Uh-huh. Too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.